1: Welcome to The Dirt, a podcast about archaeology, anthropology, and our shared human past. I'm Anna. And I'm Amber. How's everybody doing? No?
2: Yeah, same here. All right. This week... The summer blockbuster series rolls on with the first film in my double feature, the bold and buzzy 2006 film Apocalypto, the fourth movie made by Academy Award winning director and alleged human garbage can
1: Mel Gibson. Is it buzzy because there's a lot of insects like buzzy like it was talked about a lot? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The latter. Uh, There are some insects in it. Hmm just thinking like rainforest Ooh, fuzzy I'll
2: get to that part okay um about that fuzziness so
1: apocalypto are you familiar are you very familiar have you seen it I guess that's the big one no I I definitely never saw it I remember it coming out and I remember public you know the vague public response to it and I I imagine we'll get to that so yeah yeah it's a Like memory
2: yeah and it could go either way Um, and we'll get to that yeah apocalypto for mel gibson sure (laughs) apocalypto was released when people were still
1: not quite over his last movie (laughs) the passion of the christ which (laughs) just starring the baffling jim caviezel oh (laughs) yeah 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 star of your favorite show no star of the person show i of, can't watch anymore because of now i know what jim caviezel is like <laughs> it wasn't person of interest that was the problem <laughs> no i know
2: that uh no i mean that just that wasn't enough <laughs> too so the so it came out so passion of the christ came out in 2004 and remains to this day the highest grossing r-rated film of all time wow like people went wild over it like specifically christians and the adl they were the ones that went wild yeah, over it okay yeah. um but somehow i managed to never see it despite being invited to screenings pretty much weekly for the second half of my high school career it was wow. the thing to see um uh, so mm. last week anna you didn't spend much time talking about the plot of the dig uh because there wasn't much
1: plot <laughs> <laughs> they found a thing it's
2: just sort of like very like uh it does what it says on the tin yes yeah. <laughs> like they dig they do that um but i think that it in this case in the case of apocalypto it would behoove all of us to know what exactly happens in apocalypto um, because i think it'll help our listeners understand where the critiques that we'll get into are coming from does that sound good that sounds great okay i i wrote this synopsis would you do you want me to read any of it you don't need or? to read the. no you don't need to read the synopsis but okay. first, i have like i have some quotes from reviews and interviews Oh, i get to stuff, contribute okay you can yeah you can definitely contribute But also i want to hear like your thoughts oh, boy. um perhaps at the end of this but you know i'll i'll pause at the end of each
1: paragraph mm. you can give me some thoughts You'll, you'll jaguar pause yeah <laughs> hey <laughs> oh <clears throat> apocalypto
2: it was lauded or at least received a ton of press for its predominantly indigenous cast possibly entirely indigenous cast i'm not it's not for me to say in fact every uh, single
1: (laughs) person's blood quantum or whatever people tried
2: to good gosh uh the the uh the star uh the like protagonist uh, played by uh rudy youngblood Uh it was just like cutie he's like 20 and he's so young because um, oh it was 2006 yeah like there people, we were cuties yeah um but there there were some like there was some coverage being like he's not indigenous and i'm just like whoa <laughs> <laughs> slow um, your roll <laughs> so um also all of the dialogue is in yucatecan maya um mm-hmm. uh, uh, still, like, a still, still a language still language yeah exactly yeah. Um, and so i but i did lose count of the number of times the subtitle said speaking in mayan sometimes <laughs> over the like subtitles provided by the film and i'm Oops. just like i know i just. <laughs> let me read them yeah uh apocalypto <laughs> big like focuses on Jaguar Paul, um, who is a young father and upstanding member of his village, um, who encounters an extremely freaked out man in the forest uh, while hunting Taper one day in the early 16th century CE with his dad and bros. Um, Okay. Jaguar Paul speaks on behalf of the hunting party and asks what the man wants and is told that uh, they want to pass through. They're looking for a new life after their village was destroyed. Jaguar Paul tells tells him and whoever we are to move along and a huge group of traumatized and gendered people, mostly elderly folks, women and children, pass through. Uh, so this experience haunts Jaguar Paul later that evening during the feast and storytelling and general vibing that goes on in the community that night. And uh, his he and his father have a conversation about it, where his father is like, "Don't be afraid; like fear will infect you." It's like sort of like that's what you saw in those people. It was fear, and so he's just like kind of freaked out by the like unsettled by the whole thing. Sure. Um, I do want to mention that a not insignificant chunk of the first 20 minutes of this sort of like idyllic village life um is spent with everybody bullying a guy who's known to be having trouble conceiving with his wife um and including by his harpy mother-in-law who's nagging him about it like cool. super weird way to endear me to our heroes but go off i guess they're just like us <laughs> is that what you're trying for i don't yeah i don't know what was happening there but there there was some like um some some nice like uh familial intimacy going Mm -hmm. on with like jaguar paul and his dad jaguar paul and his wife seven um who is pregnant that is her personality um and his um young child so that they're like they're cute, they're a nice little family. Uh, hmm. okay. Early the next morning, Jaguar Paul wakes up from a nightmare in which the man he met in the forest is holding his own beating heart, and then tells him to run. I remember it was that
1: in the trailer. I don't know that's, either. That's just a really evocative description. No, it's or like his I eyes are, are like visual. quite wide,
2: and he's like yeah. br- like hyperventilating, and then he finally says, "Run!" Like, while he's holding his heart, it's like I. It's a very striking image, but I think I it must I, be it must have been in a trailer it be, because probably it would make sense to be in the trailer yeah um early the next morning jaguar paul uh sorry no we said that um he wakes so, yeah, oh yeah no. he, he has the nightmare yeah and wakes he up. he wakes only to see that a group of bloodthirsty warrior types have begun a sneak attack on the village it's like quite crepuscular and they've got torches <laughs> and they're they're like coming in um Jaguar Paul hides word for a
1: nice time of day.
2: <laughs> uh, jaguar Paul hides pregnant wife and young son in a narrow ravine pit thing, um, only to find himself among those tied up and lashed to long bamboo poles in a chain gang of sorts, and marched
1: into the forest, across a river, up the side of the mountain, and so forth. So Mel Gibson just really likes movies about long torturous walks. Indeed, what I'm getting. Um,
2: so all of this that i just described to you takes the first hour of the movie um so i'm gonna save you all of the gratuitous violence and misogyny because there's quite a bit of that just done not like those ladies um so as they continue onward as this this so it's not only uh jaguar paul's community but also um the man he met, in, the freaked out man in the forest and, um, and, and folks who had been with him, they all get, the, they've just been like abducted and mm-hmm. are being trafficked. Um, so they continue onward and encounter what seems like, I guess, deforestation. Um, a person dead from smallpox and a smallpox having child crying over their body. The child then becomes an oracle. Who tells them about how a man is coming to scratch out all the vile ones? The day will become like night. He'd run with the jaguar in their world. It's all very distressing. Uh, the group continues onward, passing through what I think is a lime processing quarry. Um, like it everybody's, everybody's like all white. Dusty. It's, it's very. That's it's a, it's a bit creepy in that way of just like you sort of like that was like a nice cinematic 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 cinematic. I don't know. <laughs> Visually it was uh evocative. Mm. Um so and then then it seems that these these like conscripted laborers um, are making plaster um, and they go through some ruined agricultural fields and enter a city-like place Um, it's got markets and women in cute shift dresses wearing uh like weaving and people dying textiles and there's visible inequality in the form of chic people and litters looking grossed out by the pores i think that's what was happening in those scenes like those those shots um Mm. A classic Maya temple is being plastered and renovated because you know it's it's like an anach-
1: anachronistic, but they're renovating it. So it's, it's <laughs> so it's it's just old. It just needed a refresh. Yeah, yeah. This so is the historical society gussying it up.
2: Yeah, yeah. So that's <laughs> it's sort of like a a way to like fit in monumental architecture, yeah. but try to still make it like 16th century. Getting up to it, everyone is cut loose from their like bamboo shackles um religious types come at the freshly cut free villagers with blue paint to smear over their the men's bodies while the women in the group are put on a platform and auctioned off as slaves uh the harpy mother-in-law is turned loose because she's rendered worthless great um the men painted blue including jaguar paul are led down a corridor that has murals depicting blue men being led to a human sacrifice um which happen to be reproductions of real murals uh just dating to 1700 years before
1: the film takes place so oh, that's, that's okay. like the culture is static and hasn't changed well, in that's those a, like, That's like a,
2: that's like a that's like I guess the the one like big one like the one big issue
1: yeah like, okay
2: of just like ugh, uh, but it's helpful because it does help you figure out what's going on in the movie. Yeah. Um, because um, then they open up onto a, a plaza of a kind of differently anachronistic temple and a high priest is jauntily tossing heads down the side of, of the temple, like the steps, like a game of Plinko. Um, so the high priest takes the stage and explains the premise of the movie, which is really helpful because at mm. this point I had no idea what's going on. Uh, the um there's not a lot of dialogue in the dialogue uh, and like and, and a like good percentage of the dialogue that does exist is about that guy who can't get his wife friend. so it's like too bad um, a couple sacrifices happen and then jaguar paul's turn paul's turn comes up uh the high priest lifts the blade and and so they're doing um they're doing heart extractions and then decapitation so that's the the process uh so he lifts the blade and um, then a solar eclipse happens and the king, who I only knew was the king because Amazon X-Ray was like Rafael Valiz as king, <laughs> was like, <laughs> oh, can't sacrifice this guy. Um, cool cool con is all good on man blood today. Um, the traffickers who... Are described elsewhere as warriors but they're just like people who have trafficked them just, that seems to be their only job just
1: people stealers um,
2: well like the, the yeah uh, so the traffickers then take the remaining captives to what appears to be a ball court um but instead of playing ball they play the most dangerous game <laughs> <laughs> so um they tell them to run like two at a time and then they hunt them um so Jaguar Paul finishes off the finisher, whose job is to be at the end of the court to like brain anybody the, that gets goalie. that far. Yeah, yeah. He's and the goalie. So, so he kills him, uh-huh. um, and then runs off into the cornfields. There are 38 minutes left of the movie. Uh, how how long is the total movie? It is two hours and eight minutes. That's so you much get of credits. the movie. Wow. So this That's is how much time we have spent. We spent the first hour, hour just like half. we're almost there. jaguar paul breaks through the other side of the corn hotly pursued by the trafficker guys and then hides in a tree up a tree until they pass him by he then realizes that he's up a tree between a baby jaguar and a mama jaguar and so he starts running again the traffickers are then
1: attacked by a vicious (laughs) jaguar puppet realistic huh (laughs) how are those jaguar effects
2: it's just like <laughs>
1: it's, like, it's just like shaking a Muppet. It's um It's, it's actually uh Triumph the comic dog. <laughs> <laughs> is what it
2: looked like. Yeah. Um but I mean <laughs> that was it 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 took me out of it a little bit. But, um jaguar paw keeps running and one of the traffickers is like oh dang that omen uh we saw the day become like night this jaguar puppet came out and made <laughs> our friend's brain um so i guess this guy is, is pretty scary like he's like the the omen point yeah um so they keep the chasing foretold him. yeah so he they keep chasing him over a waterfall where at the bottom he's like i'm jaguar paw son of flint sky i'm a hunter this is my forest um and, but and then he fought like keeps running and falls into a sinkhole and some quick mud um and 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 it, and in an admittedly <laughs> extremely cool scene um he crawls out covered in black mud and is re- reborn in berserker mode do they so, say anything in the
1: film about reborn or did you just choose to use that word
2: it that's kind of what's going on
1: okay like symbolically emerges
2: like like, he, like, emerges, like, like out in a, in the a mud, birthy kind of and way he's all black like he's uh-huh. like head to toe like this like it's just like a charcoal paste is what it looks like <laughs> and so he's just like he's be- extremely
1: activated
2: <laughs> <laughs> and so he's like become the jaguar and, and oh, so it's, it's like, like okay. so it's mm. like he's like and this is a point where like things turn like in his favor he's, because I he's see. back home in his forest um and so it's like it's my house, and uh, it's very <laughs> cool. Uh, a torrential storm begins overhead, and Jaguar Paul manages to take out a few of the trafficker people before getting back to the hole in which his pregnant oh, wife. Where he stashed his
1: family. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
2: So they've been hanging out in that whole like the whole movie, and it like occasionally goes back to them, like her using little ant heads as sutures on the little guy's foot, mm-hmm. um, uh, trying to escape. <laughs> fighting off monkey puppets that one was really bad so the monkey puppet was was like actually bad um and then going into labor after multiple
1: falls see the sticks on the arms
2: um so the storm is filling the hole with water oh no and pregnant wife and child are in immediate peril um the head warrior closes in on jaguar paul um his son was the finisher that got finished um so it's like now it's personal mm-hmm. um and so um the head warrior is like about to close in on him but then trips the same wire um for the trap that killed the tapir at the beginning of the movie Chekhov's taper trap um pregnant wife has a water birth while standing on a rock with the child on her shoulders standing yeah because she has to like get oh. up on the rock because the water is filling up okay because and rising. so like it is like bloop and then there's <laughs> it's like a, just, it's the nirvana
1: like, album cover it's
2: like the baby effects were like not great there also well, was like some they can't violent- do jaguar
1: and monkey i know
2: <laughs> i know so you know whatever i'm not i'm not that's not i'm not taking issue with that um so jaguar paul makes it to the beach um like he's he has to run off again because like dudes are chasing him yeah. um so he makes it injured and exhausted with a couple of traffickers stumbling along behind him and here this is good scene um good shot uh when the camera closes in on his face his eyes looking surprised but not afraid um and then pulling back to see the two traffickers looking scared and then panning around behind them to show what they're seeing it's 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 like five boats full of Spaniards, (laughs) including a priest holding a huge crucifix, um, all coming at them. So Jaguar Paul runs back to the hole, now nearly full of water, and finds his wife and child and new baby with umbilical cords still attached. Yeah, it's like Um, a
1: surfboard. You don't want to lose it if you fall off.
2: um, So the last scene of the movie is after the storm, when Jaguar Paul is walking up an embankment, carrying the baby with his son and wife coming up behind them he stops and his wife joins him they look out at the beach where the wife asks what the boats are and whether they should go to the men that brought that were brought by said boats Uh, jaguar paw says no we should go to the forest so seek a new beginning and they do the end
1: Um, Uh, i feel like i just watched that whole movie (laughs) oh
2: man my take on this movie is i really thought it would be better because i had heard a lot about how it was like gorgeous, like really sumptuous. Um and I was ready for that and I didn't get it. I appreciate the practical effects and the sets and the attention to um jewelry and makeup and tattooing and like body modification processes that like are involved. Like it's like that's really, really great. Um, but like the forest didn't feel lush. The Temple Plaza didn't feel like oppressively hot and crowded. Um, it didn't it didn't like apart from that penultimate scene that I was talking about, like in which Jaguar Paul is just like castle doctrining everybody in the forest um, before making it to the shore. um, It just like didn't get me there. It did not convey a strong enough sense of place to me. Mm, Um, So another movie that came out uh, in 2006, well, like
1: December 2005,
2: but like that was out in theaters in 2006 was Terrence Malick's The New World.
1: I missed that one too.
2: That's the one um, about John Smith and Pocahontas. Oh no! And
1: yep. Okay. It's
2: beautiful. <laughs> and but it, like it's it's Terrence and so it it won or was at least nominated for um, like cinematography um, and that is a place that like really conveys the like beauty of the natural environment and sort of the in a way that can be a bit much um, of just sort of like uh, looking at like in indigenous land stewardship and sort of like a closeness to the land, like in that way that can get a little gross when it's white people talking about it and sort of uh, fetishizing it a bit. But, um, but it is, it, it's beautiful. Like it's beautiful. And you, 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 it has a sense of place that this kind of lacked, um, which is a shame given what was invested in it in terms of hmm. like the but, however, a character actually says, "I'm walking here," and in Maya when a tree falls down in front
1: of him, and that's fun. It's like a oh, little bit of midnight cowboy, just one little moment of like, just eh. like, just like a weird <laughs> like, I'm walking here, <laughs>
2: <laughs> hey. Um, but but people liked it. There were several like filmmakers who were like, "This is the best movie of the decade," which is. Insane because the new world also came out, and it's just sort of like what if you have like two like two movies in like the same genre of like Europeans encountering indigenous people in the Americas, and they came out the same time, and one of them is gorgeous, and the other one is hyper violent in a gross way. Uh, but that's not what we're talking about. Um, So according to Rotten Tomatoes, it has a 65% critic score and a 79% audience score. And the critics consensus is quote, Apocalypto is a brilliantly filmed, if mercilessly bloody examination of a once great civilization, end quote. (sighs) And that consensus is pretty accurate to what the movie seems to be trying to do. Um, In fact, the very first image of the film after the production logos is a black screen with a white
1: text that reads, quote, A great civilization is not conquered from without until it has destroyed itself from within. And that is from
2: Will Durant, who is the co-author of The Story of Civilization. He's credited as the author of it, but his wife also wrote it um and that it are you are you familiar with the story of civilization
1: no but i just read this list of chapters
2: yeah that's no Ugh. this is an 11 volume set oh no um, that looked at the history of civilization um and and so it was really popular in like book clubs and like it was it was like a, a big like popular history meet push um so anna would you like to read what those 11
1: the 11 volumes of the story of civilization, civilization set of white guys Ugh, okay. not just, well, not, not just white guys no but boy chapter volume 1 okay so i'm <laughs> so sorry yes volume 1 our oriental heritage so that's the sumerians up through the fall of the achaemenid it makes me feel Empire. a little better that that was 1935 not a lot better I kept going for 40 years <laughs> yeah well volume 2 The Life of Greece. Volume three, Caesar and Christ. Volume four, The Age of Faith. Volume five, The Renaissance. Volume six, The Reformation. One side of the world is is tipping the scales a little bit. Volume seven, The Age of Reason begins. Volume eight, The Age of Louis XIV. The pause was for me to figure out what those Roman numerals added up to. (laughs) Of Louis XIV, (laughs) Volume Ten, Rousseau and Revolution. Best one. Oh, sorry. How could I? Volume Nine, The Age of Voltaire. Volume Ten, Rousseau and Revolution. Volume Eleven, The Age of Napoleon. Uh, Very French heavy in the last. Very French heavy. Yeah. Last part um, of things.
2: And so those those books those volumes were published between 1935 and 1975. So he obviously talked a lot about civilization, and so it's fascinating to me that this quote um, would
1: be this like very Jared Diamond quote. It's very victim blaming, also
2: because if you look at like what's being discussed in this, it's
1: sort of like the march towards reason, the march towards democracy, right, using that quote. At the beginning of this movie, is like, well, the reason that this quote-unquote collapse happened is it's their fault. It's their own fault that they were conquered.
2: Oh, interesting, you should say that, Anna, because the idea of civilizations in decline, or perhaps passing the baton to someone new, or perhaps hanging around past their prime, comes through in what I could find from the screenwriters themselves, Mel Gibson and Farhad Safinia um who's a guy that has a degree in math Just wow yeah <laughs> so math majors here's what you can do um from well, i'm gonna have anna read a quote uh from a 2006 column from the hollywood reporter which was then
1: syndicated in the washington post anna quote Stephania and gibson chose the mayan civilization as their historical point in time for several reasons they wanted to explore a pre-Columbian, pre-European native culture, and they chose the Mayans over the Aztecs because of their sophistication and swift downfall. Safinia says, quote, the Mayans were far more interesting to us. You can choose a civilization that is bloodthirsty, or you can show the Mayan civilization that was so sophisticated with an immense knowledge of medicine, science, archaeology, excuse me, and engineering, but also be able to illuminate the brutal undercurrent and ritual savagery that they practiced. It was a far more interesting world to explore why and what happened to them, end quote.
2: Yeah. And then oh, at boy. a film festival screening that year, so this was in 2006, Gibson compared the setting of the film to the then three-year-old Iraq war, saying, quote, the precursors to a civilization that's going under are the same time and again, what's human sacrifice if not sending guys off to Iraq for no reason to an extent. Yeah. I'm, I'm here for, I, I mean, not, I'm not, neither here for the no, Iraq you just, nor you're, human sacrifice. You are appreciating about, the metaphor. Like thinking, yeah. Thinking about um, if we are to consider what is considered like ritualized human sacrifice, like an argument could be made that like the, um, the treatment of like people in the service industry since the beginning of the pandemic, like that's something that could be seen from an edict perspective. So an external perspective as a form of uh, sacrifice. So like, Mm. okay, okay, fine. And honestly, like, that stuff was one of the least problematic things that Gibson said that year because 2006 was Mel Gibson's slur speed run.
1: Yeah, that was, I remember like, that. That
2: was the year that he was just like going for it. Um, so let's take a break. And then when we come back, I want to dig in a little bit more about uh, into what Apocalypto is doing and how its violence might extend beyond what happens on screen
0: it's chris webster again if you haven't checked out our new parent website culturomedia.com then please do culturo is spelled k-u-l-t-u-r-o and it's where we promote all of our live events we've got one coming up in november check it out over at culturo when it gets posted if it's already happened and you're hearing this then as a member you can go to your member pages and see the event recording our live events are always free but you have to show up during the event to see it so that's Media.com for all our live events and more. CulturalMedia.com. Chris Webster here, founder of the APN and host of several shows. I just wanted to let you know about our membership program and what it offers. Members of the APN get, for just $7.99 a month or cheaper if you pay for the year, ad-free episodes so you don't have to listen to me on the breaks, Membership in our Slack team so you can continue the conversation with hosts and other members and exclusive access to any of our live event recordings. Live events are always free, but you only get to watch the recording if you're a member. So head over to arcpodnet.com slash members for more info and to become a member. Our podcasts are always free, but this is just a little something extra and it really helps us out. That's arcpodnet.com slash members.
2: let's get into critical response to the film within academic circles because that's what you came here for, I bet. Um, So there are plenty of reviews that panned it as like inaccurate or racist um, just sort of like, and, and lots of things that are like kind of, In the scheme of things, nitpicky. the Sort of surface level. Like somebody being like, well, you know, like if it were a solar eclipse, it wouldn't happen in the middle, in the few minutes, it would take hours. But it's like, yeah, it's a movie. And like that kind of stuff. (laughs) Or the people being like, well, there's a, there's a classic Maya temple there. And it's like in the post-classic, like proto-historic period, like they 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 still have-
1: them they were still there, they were still there. Um, they're really big
2: they're they're big and they stay there and so like yeah it might not be new and like but also and they like, were replastering well yeah which like fair enough like i like <laughs> good good for you like i'm glad you i'm glad you but also like it isn't as impressive visually to somebody watching a movie if it's just like a flat open space like yeah it's harder to get like a crowd and a guy if they're all like on the same level so like stuff like that where it's like oh come on like that's the thing you're mad about like (laughs) that's just sort of like like when we have bigger fish to fry fish to fillet weird um (laughs) bigger fish to fillet um (laughs) so one critique that i think tackles the issues uh, that i think are most important uh comes from tracy ardren who um in writing for archaeology magazine in is a is apocalypto pornography uh, because that was the word that came to me while i was watching it was being like this is pornographic like porn. yeah it's just like mm. like just violent and like not yeah. And um, the traffickers are like kind of cartoonishly villainous. Like this would be like I'm crazy. Like I'm a crazy guy, <laughs> and it's just like messing with people and stuff like that. And it's just like, is this a religious thing? Like, are you getting sacrificed? It's like for a, a holy purpose. Like, are you like trying to like turn a profit off of human? Tra- like, what are you doing? What's what, your like motive? Some, some like one of uh, one. I think one of the characters are is just like. Oh, he's just like the wild card, and like in the outfit, and it's just like, what's what? Um, sure. Ardrin says Anna will read what Ardrin
1: says. Sorry. <laughs> Quote. Gibson's efforts at authenticity of location and language might, for some viewers, mask his blatantly colonial message that the Maya needed saving because they were rotten at the core. Using the decline of classic urbanism as his backdrop, Gibson communicates that there was absolutely nothing redeemable about Maya culture, especially elite culture, which is depicted as a disgusting feast of blood and excess. Before anyone thinks I have forgotten my Metamucil this morning... (laughs) Fibers important. I am not a compulsively politically correct type who sees the Maya as the epitome of goodness and light. I know the Maya practice brutal violence upon one another, and I have studied child sacrifice during the classic period. But in Apocalypto, no mention is made of the achievements in science and art, the profound spirituality and connection to agricultural cycles, or the engineering feats of Maya cities. Instead, Gibson replays, in glorious big-budget technicolor, an offensive and racist notion that Maya people were brutal to one another long before the arrival of Europeans, and thus they deserve, in fact they needed, rescue. This same idea was used for 500 years to justify the subjugation of Maya people, and it has been thoroughly deconstructed and rejected by Maya intellectuals and community leaders throughout the Maya area today. In fact, Maya intellectuals have demonstrated convincingly that such ideas were manipulated by the Guatemalan army to justify the genocidal civil war of the 1970s through 1990s. To see this same trope about who indigenous people were and are today, used as the basis for entertainment, and I use the term loosely, is truly embarrassing. How can we continue to produce such one-sided and clearly exploitative messages about the indigenous people of the new world? I loved Gibson's film Braveheart. I really did. But there is something very different about portraying a group of people who are now recovering from 500 years of colonization as violent and brutal. These are people who are living with the very real effects of persistent racism that at its heart sees them as less than human. To think that a movie about the thousand ways a Maya can kill a Maya when only 10 years ago, Maya people were systematically being exterminated in Guatemala just for being Maya is in any way okay, entertaining, or helpful is the epitome of a Western fantasy of supremacy that I find sad and ultimately pornographic. It is surely no surprise that Apocalypto has very little to do with Maya culture, and instead is Gibson's comment on the excesses that he perceives in modern Western society. I just wish he had been honest enough to say this. Instead, he has created a beautiful and disturbing portrait that satisfies his need for comment, but does violence to one of the most impressive of Native American cultures. End quote
2: that's so like when i like the sort of nitpicky and pedantic corrections and like complaints that people have like that kind of stuff makes me mad because they are missing the point and the point yeah, is I the know. one that
1: ardren's making there yes uh, of just being like this is actively harming the community yes. that still is there
2: yeah and so an alternative position oh no um is voiced in richard hansen's chapter relativism revisionism aboriginalism and the and emic etic truth the case study of apocalypto too long your title's too long so that chapter is in a book called the ethics of anthropology and amerindian research reporting on environmental degradation and warfare um and just as a little refresher or fresher if you haven't heard this before um so he talks about emic and edic. So emic is is an anthropological term uh, that refers to, is a d- description of an event or a situation that is coming from within. So it's based on the perceptions of the observed group. So emic coming from, so you emit something. hmm It's it's coming from from within so edict is coming from without which is based on the perceptions of the external observer so mm-hmm. the ethnographer the archaeologist
1: the scientist like that and so unless they are of the descendant community by default it's an edict perspective yes
2: and then so and then like if they are part of the descendant community there are Tensions. They're stand to be tensions. Um, so it's important yeah. to note here. And
1: a nomadic makes you barf. Coming from within. <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh, so it's important to note here that Hansen was involved in the production of the film as a consultant. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, the most interesting to me aspect of the entire chapter was the inclusion of his own photos of the city set and information about all of the research and detail that went into creating the setting and development of the film. Um, not much of that makes it to the screen, much less to the foreground of the audience's experience. Um, so uh, did you ever see the show Rome?
1: The HBO yeah, program. I watched Rome. the first couple seasons. Well, there are, so all of them. Oh, I don't know how many there are. I just, <laughs> I just remember like watching, I and, don't know. A handful of episodes. Okay.
2: So you know how it like it, it they are real sets and like it's and it's all like very like richly informed mm-hmm. by like archaeological Good world research. building. Yeah. So apparently the same thing happened for
1: apocalypto. And oh, yes. you just don't see it. So Hansen does speak to that when he says, quote. It is easy to lament the lack of additional examples of Maya achievements in Apocalypto, such as ball games, written scripts, dancing, the theater, rogue hyphen, and extensive trade networks. The sophistication of the cityscape, the economic and social activities visible in the film, the elaborate architecture, and the prognostication of the eclipse in Apocalypto implied an extraordinary cultural complexity. The extensive detail built into the cityscapes at Veracruz would have allowed a greater insight into the economic, social, and political sophistication of the Maya, and it is unfortunate that more of the art, architecture, and the detailed cultural remains did not see more film time. So he's saying, like, it's not my fault. (laughs) Yeah, it's like a. Oh, so, this was in response to Ardrin and others' comments
2: because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. this, I think this came out in 2007. So, this was like a full year after it came
1: out, his chapter it's came out. Time to compose a response.
2: Yeah. And, um, or just to get it through the editing process of a, well, of a, oh, like in a there. Yeah, an edited journal. Um, there's nothing about spirituality or engineering or um, sort of agricultural knowledge like there's no science there's no there's no science and there's no like interiority and he's like it's all there it's all there but it is a shame you didn't see it Uh, but largely Hansen's uh, chapter is dedicated to countering academic outcry about the film with a review of evidence that the late post-classic and proto-historic Maya society was violent. They did conduct human sacrifice via decapitation and heart extraction. There were areas where hunter-gatherer groups could still like still lived. Um, And there is evidence for slavery. And you can't argue with the fact that the Spanish did show up and the movie isn't saying that they're the saviors at all. So just saying a lot of stuff where like, just, I think what I see (laughs) as willfully misunderstanding what people have an issue with and picking straw men and i think it's really interesting to have something from the mid the mid about about this because this is the same kind of stuff that we see today but there's no economy of language in calling something woke or saying someone's canceled in in like this chapter and in the the his like Similarly minded colleagues. Instead, Hansen puts forward that critics of Apocalypto are engaging in historical revisionism, an attempt to whitewash Maya history and to like virtue signal that Mel Gibson is bad and indigenous people are good. And um that because he he does say that like most people didn't have good, they ignored the evidence that this stuff was be like well like what's historical accuracy like it's fiction like it's fiction these things did happen in the archaeological record and in history and in all of these um spanish texts that i'm quoting hmm, to corroborate you are truly ideas. unbiased like, it's like and and so this this guy like is i think his work is like Olmec stuff but like he's like he's a faculty member in the anthropology department like but you know <laughs> lord knows that doesn't stop like <laughs> of like yeah. this kind
1: of thinking. There was um, someone I'm gonna mention or I was gonna mention when you were starting to talk about Richard Hanson. It was like, oh, this is real so-and-so energy. And then I looked and you mentioned them two paragraphs down. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah. So we'll get there. Um yeah, same, yeah. Mm. Same vibe. Using the same juice. Um Ugh. so Ugh.
1: um bad juice. Hansen says, quote, In some cases, revisionist perspectives ignore the vast amounts of data that have accumulated over periods of time and seek to promote that which is ideologically expedient or politically correct or convenient within the bounds of language. In other cases, a certain movement purports that indigenous rights should always trump scientific inquiry. Such positions defy the establishment of truth. That's a quote. So so he is citing Zimmerman. So he's quoting someone else
2: who cited Zimmerman at all 2003. So indigenous rights should always trump
1: scientific inquiry is something that he is quoting. When was NAGPRA passed? Was it 90 or 95? 90. 1990. Okay. So this is 13 years after. Bro, we're 30 years past. No, I know. No, that's, (laughs) that is the, what I was trying to articulate. And then my brain ground to a stop. Don't worry. He's not done talking. Such positions defy the establishment of truth and seek for an unqualified political correctness that is both unwarranted and dangerous to the realities of the human saga. On a more subtle note, it can lull a society into an intellectual complacency, generating a moral and intellectual failure to acknowledge or improve on mistakes or violations of accepted values of universal human rights. (sighs) End quote.
2: So this idea that he's talking about here and this kind of work uh, of this idea of saying like factually all the things that happened in this movie are born out in evidence and you just don't want to admit it because you think that by acknowledging the reality of like, like ritualized and systemic violence, you are just like feeling guilty. It's your white guilt. Also, he references Alex Jones and Paul Joseph Watson. Um, because they said that it was like the most important movie of like all time or something. And Alex Jones is still talking about, is still like is still citing things that happen in Apocalypto today. Uh, like like within the in past this, few weeks. In this
1: year of twenty twenty two. In twenty
2: twenty two as archaeological data, as sort of this as as sort of looking at um like civilizations in decline and
1: stuff like that. Oh, he's looking he's, at apocalypto as data? Yeah. Oh no. Like
2: he, he like viewing it as, as like literature, as like, yeah, as scientific literature. A text, and I just, a rich text. I finally figured out what it was because he like always talks about it. I'm just like, where's he getting this? Like, where is he getting, what did he see? And he saw Apocalypse in 2006 and he <laughs> thought it was great. Um, and so. All right. All of this stuff and Hansen's ideas are just one of the many crumbs on the path that led us to the work and notoriety of people like Elizabeth Weiss, um, who is an anthropologist, uh, who, who is believe, the person
1: I alluded to yeah, yeah. two paragraphs um, ago and
2: who like And then folks in, in this, like the intellectual dark web types uh, believe that respecting descendant communities and indeed like the lives and like memory of people who once occupied the bodies whose remains that Humans, they now human study, beings. Um, letting them be a part of the conversation and in fact get to decide what happens to their relations is a direct attack on her ability to do science and it amounts to science bending to religion, um, because seeing this, like seeing this idea of like political correctness, like gone mad, kind of thing.
1: Right, yeah, this um, idea that it's standing in the way of progress or knowledge. It's. Uh, <laughs>
2: I'll swear in this article, Hanson's like, oh, and then the, this guy he says it like, objective reality. it not even a thing. And I was just like, it's not. <laughs> it's, <laughs> that's. But, but just like have, and like, he tried to get into like the philosophy of science, like down, it was just sort of like you saying that apocalyptic was bad is because you want people to know that you think that Bell Gibson should be punished for saying anti-Semitic things. And so you don't want to admit that it's a good movie and it's accurate because you don't want to make, you don't want to hurt Indigenous people's feelings. <laughs> that is my first sign of be like, are you friends with him? And I think he is. Um, so Hans elsewhere in this chapter, Hansen quotes a paper presented at the 2007 AAA session critiquing apocalypto, an anthropological response to the perpetuation of inequality of in popular media, uh, which Ardrin was a part of. Uh, but this okay. this paper comes from
1: Alan Maka and Kevin McLeod, who say, quote, possibly Kevin McLeod. Quote, Mel Gibson's Apocalypto, while it may seem on the surface to be another mindless violent action epic with the Maya as unwitting casualties, actually sets out to achieve similar goals, an exploration of consciousness and of modern man's need for renewal and transformation. Like most films involving or based on native culture, yet made by non-natives, Apocalypto is a grandiose and intricately nuanced commentary on white society. Because the hero and the villains are indigenous, however, the film also seeks to explore the basis of our humanity, regardless of race and ethnicity. The artistic devices Gibson uses to communicate his ideas draw heavily on tropes, symbols and plot lines developed by earlier masters. But he also clearly develops and adopts themes and symbolic values that are basic to myth and ritual. End quote. What? What? I think that. What? That is being taken here as a good thing that like using it as commentary
2: yeah that it's commentary so like he's okay. he's doing something here it's okay. it's something bigger than that he's not talking about Mayans he's not saying that also calling them Mayans <laughs> it's just sort of like he's he's hmm. like he's doing something and the fact that this is taken as a good thing is like a huge problem <laughs> yeah it's perhaps it's very troubling it's the, perhaps the problem that I have. Um, and that is that indigenous people are not a metaphor for human nature. Especially that idea of like the primal
1: human. Like,
2: right. No, stop that. And also like indigenous people have their own stories <laughs> and like they're there. And also like maybe they should make the movies. It's really complicated because there's a, there's this like sort of organization like the uh, first Americans in the arts and Mel Gibson won the, an award from them this year. The film won an award, like the, Rudy Youngblood won an award, like because of it. And like like two of the public screenings were for predominantly Native audiences. Like I think there was one that was on the Chickasaw Nation. And so it's this we It's 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 something that like yucks me out because it's it feels like very like pan Native, mm. and and that like none of the like leading actors like none of the like the people with like speaking roles and stuff. Um,
1: what about the of, hey i'm walking here guy
2: i think that was raul Trujillo, um who is not maya but also was in the new world <laughs> and was the choreographer for all of the dances that were done in the new World. oh cool um he's a he was a a dancer before actor. Like so he's mm. like a dancer and choreographer and, and an actor. And so he was in both of those. <laughs> um, but I don't think anyone's Maya. You've just got this guy who's like Yaki and Cree. Um, unless you talk to that one guy who wrote an article, it's like, oh yeah, and
1: it's like, <laughs> whoa, chill. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> and um why don't you make a movie about the excesses of the rich and European and white? Like why why not just do that? Why Why make it a Maya metaphor?
2: Yeah, like, if you're going to go to all the trouble of making all these things historically accurate, which were gorgeously Presumably done.
1: hiring Richard Hansen. Um, which,
2: like, he wasn't even
1: the biggest, <laughs> the <laughs> biggest <laughs>
2: contributor to it, it seems. Um, but, like, if you're going to go to all that trouble, why don't you tell a Maya story? There is a Maya story in it. There is a... Um, the villa the night before the Mm raid there's like a an elder who is telling a story and Mm. it's a traditional I don't know if it's a Yucatecan story but it's a traditional like traditional Mesoamerican
1: okay
2: mm uh folk story (laughs) it was like edited by somebody who is like a philologist okay and it the script was translated by a um Maya linguist I don't know if he's my he's he is a Mexican national um but, Maya I, languages. but he is like a, a big guy in a sort of like Maya linguistics. Okay, And so like if you go to all this trouble, why don't you tell a Maya story? If you want to have an intricately nuanced commentary on white society, why not do it in white society or in the animal world? like animal farm managed to do that really well you've already got the puppets yeah you got monkeys you got jaguars
1: what else do you need
2: um so we're gonna take (laughs) one more break and when we come back we're gonna spend our last few minutes together today talking about some archaeology from the early 16th century during this time of initial contact between the maya and europeans like in the real world As I promised, mere moments ago, uh, I want us to take a look at some like real archaeology of the Maya um, at the time of Spanish contact and colonization, uh, sort of telling its own story and not being like a bunch of Barbies like used to tell another story, um, which is like kind of how it's just like really, really infuriating. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's using them as as props, yeah, using people as props, purely as props. In doing so, we're going to push a little further past the idea of the Maya being a once great civilization, which also is like some sort of like the dirt 101 stuff. So I'm not going to like do any like much of like the remedial like. It was an eclipse uh, kind of thing, but uh, pushing us into the realm of the Maya homeland being a heterogeneous site of like resistance and fluctuation uh, for the past couple millennia, um, including the 16th century CE. So in the 2016 Antiquity article, the Perjuring Maya, New Archaeology on Early Colonial Transitions. I'm
1: I sure had to look up perjuring. Perjuring, the Perjuring yeah. Maya. No, I looked up Perjuring. It's, it's existing for a long period of time. It's just enduring, but formal. Yeah. Perjuring. Um, Authors Maxine Oland
2: and Joel W. Palka move away from that monolithic Maya got conquered worldview and break up the archaeological literature concerning the period of contact in early Spanish colonialism into like circumstance defined zones. That's
1: interesting.
2: It's really, really interesting. Hmm. And um, to further everyone's interest, I'm going to have Anna (laughs) uh, quote the article as to
1: what these zones are. There's three of them. Quote, conquered zones, areas that were controlled by the Spaniards and organized into congregaciones, which are new Spanish settlements inhabited by relocated Maya, with forced labor, reorganization of domestic and social space, forced religious conversion, and the oversight of friars and Spanish officials. And then there are peripheral semi-conquered zones organized into encomiendas uh, which is conquistador control over regional units of maya labor with visita missions but administered primarily through indirect rule by existing elites and then unconquered zones beyond the spanish colonial periphery and able to survive the historic period without colonization end quote
2: Uh, so those are the three zones and uh they point out like even those zones. So they're saying like, not only is it not like an, a monolith, it's also like those three zones aren't cut and dry conquered zones found ways for cultural continuity in their personal lives, their communities and sort of their like cosmology. And some people in semi conquered zones adopted more Spanish material culture and social mores, despite there not being much Spanish presence in their daily lives. Um, uh, Cause it just, it just came to them through like more diffusive practices and, and being like, okay, I'll do that. Um, and then unconquered zones, that's a real misleading perhaps name, uh, because they were very much impacted by what was happening because they saw movements of displaced people and refugees like into their territories. Um, and they would have seen impacts on trade and they would have gotten sick like from yeah. the the illnesses that are spreading. Cause I think we talked about um, in some episode at some point in the 23 years that we've been doing this, uh, we talked about how um, it was like, by the time the Spanish
1: arrived, their smallpox had everybody before was, them.
2: Yeah. Like it, because it, people were dead and dying. Yeah. yeah. I think it was like in the, like the Inca heartland, it was
1: just sort of like, It was because of the system of roads. Yeah. Like uh, it was like people traveled carrying the disease, et cetera.
2: yeah. Yeah. And so like the depopulation through, uh, through sickness had already happened before they even got there. The full article is available on ResearchGate and I have it linked in the show notes. And if this is at all interesting to you, I really recommend you check it out. It does a great job. It does a really great job of demonstrating that processes like contact and colonization aren't straightforward, swift actions, but are a complex web of messy, interdependent conditions and interactions. Um, and to wrap up, I want to share an older than that article. So that article that we just talked about was in 2016. This one is from 94. um, And it does take kind of a holistic approach to geography and time. But I think for our purposes here, it's still fruitful. So author Mario Umberto Ruz describes several routes and methods in Maya resistance to colonial rule in everyday life. So this is a bit bit later than Jaguar Paw uh, at all. Um, the uh, Ruz sort of categorizes this along the lines of social organization, economy, family structure, um, and religion. I just want to like give you kind of some quick hits of of just like interesting ways in which the the Maya found spaces in which to resist and what that could look like. So in um social organization, you talked about it a little bit in sort of the conquered zones where people were basically forcibly relocated into like more urban environments to like keep an eye on them and to like extract labor from them and make sure that they weren't yeah that they weren't being sinful. Um, they people regularly fled the towns they were organized into they burned them to the ground and then booked it um, they requested royal permission to relocate going um, through
1: appropriate channels
2: yeah like just started being like <laughs> i don't can like this can I go can I go I go? yeah and then just moving away on masse. and so it became like there are these it got to a point in um i think in like what later became belize that the spanish officials were like okay we got to try it again but they they basically like no one lived in the towns the towns were just vacant and so they kind of had to like build new towns to like round everybody up and put into again because they just like were not they were (laughs) like a toddler who doesn't
1: want to go for a nap it's like no but you know like a lot bleaker
2: (laughs) yeah so in a con in terms of economy uh yucatecans refused to grow surplus corn uh they they just like Refuse to grow no. more, and then handed. Yeah, they're just like, we won't be doing that, and that led the Spanish to have that. to create their own agricultural fields, which, like, of course, was were tended by conscripted Yucatecan I mean, labor. Love that but They had but to like it made their day harder. They had to go. Yeah, they had to go. Yeah, yeah they had to go to additional work to because they were
1: just like, I mean, that why is why would I, why would I make more? Resistance. It is a form of resistance. Yeah, yeah. they're providing um, friction
2: in in what became guatemala uh maya stopped growing corn altogether and they switched to a foraging based diet and so they just they they just made a decision to just like stop growing it because they aren't going to be exploited so they like started eating a lot in the way of like roots and um and just like foraging in mine's in agricultural settings um they were uh conscripted and enslaved workers uh were like treated horribly apart from the fact that they were conscripted and enslaved yeah. this is like the baseline um and so they frequently staged revolts killed their overseers or in cases where they lacked community support um they uh, resisted in the form of dying by suicide of just being like you won't get any more labor out of me. Mm-hmm. I thought those, that those were very interesting. Just yeah. Being like, they, no one's like, oh no. Like they're, they're just like, no, how do we, how how yeah. do we keep this going? Yeah.
1: Um,
2: so the family structure was very much altered under um, Spanish uh, colonization. Um, they had a focus on cutting out sexual behavior, like And like all together and rebranding it as sin um, and enforcing a monogamy and shifting from patrilocal to (sighs) nuclear families because they were like, it gets too polygamous and it's weird. Um, It does sound Catholic. So uh, new clothing was introduced to replace traditional dress uh, with an eye for modesty, as well as identifying where the indigenous people were originally from. And so they were wearing otherwise Hispanic peasant looking attire. Yeah. Um, Nothing that you could get horny about.
1: No, like a sack, like a a sort of burlap sack situation.
2: But not just any burlap sack. uh, Maya managed to weave um, like lineage symbols and like historical and mythological motifs um, into their Mm-hmm. their frumpy clothing um and they found a way to like into and uh, in what Ruth says to integrate such costumes into their cultural universe so sure. they 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 took them on and kind of made them mayan and so um and then one last thing about sort of family structure comes in the form of names. And so like this one the lot. cultural erasure that happens with basically not being allowed to continue to use Mayan names um, and imposing Christian, so like specifically Christian, but like Christian Hispanic names. Um, yeah. And so they Mayanized them. Yeah. So Pedro became Petul, uh, Juan became Shun maria became mala and isabel became Jepo, and and so on that so is awesome. It's like, this that's awesome that's of, great
1: yeah of being like well if i have you know what yeah, we'll just work with it work which, with what we're we're forced to work with
2: yeah and so which brings us to um this, the point of religion so there are like two main ways of sort of resisting um under colonization in terms of religion one is by having a so it's sort of like like a, a, a sub, sublimating subtext. their religion yeah. yeah like making their religion subtext to the religion that's imposed upon them so having coded language hidden rites underground beliefs and like prayer in secret so like stuff that happens like in their own
1: homes in their own minds like in and sort of um, i mean i went to hebrew school i am aware of analogous situations
2: yeah. And so um also the the um the concept of syncretism where uh people who are in of like minority faiths and majority faith contexts uh, or just like points of cultural contact and exchange of um pulling elements from one cultural tradition and sort of fitting it into yours, um, in it, with respect to religion. So the idea of like, uh,
1: Bridget becoming St. Bridget and like you you hear stuff
2: like, like Catholicism loves to
1: do this. Yeah. Um, And and in the Maya, we actually just talked about this on old news, but the, the Maya corn, the maize God, um, is, sacrificed every year and is reborn. So I imagine like in talking about sort of Christianity, the idea of rebirth, like it's easy to draw parallels and kind of make yeah. those things work together.
2: Yeah. And so uh Ruth points out that um this was made a bit easier by the existence of sort of parallels between um Mayan and Christian religious concepts. So they were able to sort of be like, okay, sure, yeah, I'm doing this. I'm doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, but but still by modifying your expression of faith to be a bit more palatable to your oppressor, something
1: that won't get you, you know, hurt or killed.
2: Yeah. And it's a and so over time, your faith, the faith that you're expressing may shift towards that, but it isn't uh, you're not being apostate about it. And then in the, the last, the last point that I want to bring here, which I think is a good way to bring it on home, um, is what Ruse categorizes under resistance and redefinition.
1: Anna. Quote. A great part of the highest knowledge that only the initiated possessed disappeared when these individuals died. In fact, the culture of the elite was condemned due to its relation with the structure of power and religion, but the common people had the necessary flexibility to resist the clash and to adapt to the changes. The enterprise was to endure, or perdure, and thus to contrive the mechanisms by which to survive. The loss could be recovered, and that which was created once could be recreated. In keeping the sign, perhaps the meaning could be recovered later. End quote.
2: And I think that that's a great place to end today on a note of continuity and survival. So as usual, it's not a matter of collapse um, and civilization remains a subjective and arguably useless metric for evaluating the world around us and perhaps opening a movie with. Um, But Mm. I... Thank you for watching this so I didn't have to. I'm disappointed in it. Mm. I wasn't surprised by most of it. I thought it'd be more beautiful. You should have just watched The New World again and been like, "Mm." Uh, (laughs) I'd like to think that I kind of (laughs) recovered because I was like, what do I do with this? Like, what do I what do I do
1: with this movie that I said I'd watched? I did this with it. (laughs) Yeah, I think you did a really excellent job of sort of pointing out what the big problem is, (laughs) because I think maybe a lot of people presented with even just like the synopsis of this movie would have critiques, but might not see the the big picture and like yeah. the idea that this is actively doing harm, and the idea that this is something that <laughs> unbelievably is still quoted by Alex Jones. Like clearly, it had right, right. that's an, something a that, significant knock-on effect into yeah.
2: Like within the past few months, he's
1: talked about this of uh,
2: just sort of like looking at like like civilizations. Like falling because you know ours is going to because the globalists at all yeah yeah, Um, yeah. and so like it's something that has like
1: it has around it has
2: stuck around
1: yeah and And
2: um and the issues with it have nothing to do with the fact that Mel Gibson is an anti semite
1: I mean it doesn't help (laughs) and and it's sort of a reflection of and they're and they're complementary yeah the idea of people who can view other people as subhuman yeah yeah well. Sorry, you uh you wanted to end on a note of continuity and survival, and I brought it down. So I mean, what better case is there for a continuity and survival than the career of Alex Jones?
2: Got him. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, zing. Um, so we've got one more main feed summer blockbuster to come. And that's me again. I hope that it won't be an hour of me telling you not to watch a movie.
1: <laughs> it might. Yeah, it might. Yeah, for our patrons who, who received the newsletter, <laughs> you can all just go, oh. But until then, dearest listener. Until then, you can find us all of our nearly 200 episodes. It's days of listening. You can find yeah. all of that at thedirtpod.com, our website, where you can also find merch and uh, material for educators and our Pass the Mic Small Grants program you can find all of that at the dirtpod.com along with all of our social feeds but if you want to do that separately you can find us on facebook at the dirt podcast on instagram we are at the dirt pod and on twitter we're at dirt podcast and we really appreciate you all of you the reviews you leave the fact that you spend your time listening to us wild (laughs) that's wild so great nice it's really nice. Appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks, everybody. We love you. Goodbye. Goodbye.
0: This episode was produced by Chris Webster from his RV traveling the United States, Tristan Boyle in Scotland, DigTech LLC, Cultural Media, and the Archaeology Podcast Network. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Please consider leaving a review on your favorite podcasting app. You could also consider becoming a member so we can keep content like this free and available to all. Check out pricing and info at archpodnet.com slash members. Thanks again and have a great day.